0: Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix America, episode 30. We're back after a brief break here on RugbyMag.com. Man oh man, has Bruce McLean got a lot to talk about, and we check in with Alex Goff. Hello and welcome to. Episode thirty of Rugger Matrix America. I'm your host, Juro Sin, joined by Bruce McLean.
1: Hey Bronk, how are you? Yeah, it's definitely good to be back on the show and and I'll tell you, while we were away, what a crazy bunch of things that have been going on in America. It's 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 it's, uh, it's outstanding. But there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of angst and a lot of anxiety, and I and I'm gonna address some of the issues now. We can't address all of them because there's just far too many to get into, but I'll tell you, I, I've been, you know, there's been a lot of sevens things going on, and we're going to bring Alex Goff onto the show later on to speak about that, and we'll probably get some of Alex's thoughts on some of the things that, that Ed, Ed Ed Haggerty had written in his article that called out the USA Rugby Board, and called out the CEO, Nigel Melville, and called out the head coach, Eddie O'Sullivan, and basically called for a change in, you know, for lack of a better way to say it. And there is a board meeting coming up where Kevin Roberts is up for re-election as head of the USA board. Now, essentially, my thoughts on the future, uh, instead of blowing this up, I think that um, Congress should use the meeting to get other things accomplished. I don't think that blowing up, you know, trying to get rid of Kevin Roberts and trying to get rid of Nigel Melville is necessarily a smart idea. I think that what we should do is, and, and, and if you did that, you know, Kevin Roberts brought in an Emirates deal that's worth over $2 million dollars of sponsorship and if you, blow, if you blow Roberts out of the water you could possibly lose that sponsorship and and I think it's smart to elect him because I think that he'll probably want to leave post Rugby World Cup anyway and and I and I wouldn't I wouldn't use any leverage that Congress has right now to blow him out if he's gonna leave in a year if you blow out my Nigel Melville I think you could possibly jeopardize some of the IRB money, which is a significant port, part of our um, of, of the money we bring in. Now, in doing that also, if we were to blow out the, the director of rugby, the CEO, and the chairman of the board, we just started a relationship with the United States Olympic Committee. And that would mean that we would have no stability. And... And I think that our relationship with the United States Olympic Committee is actually pretty strong. And I think that we've done a pretty good job in in maintaining that. And I don't think it's going to be as strong if there's a massive turmoil. Um, Blowing out a coach who was brought in to take us through the World Cup and groom potential coaches for the future, I think that's completely unfair to the coaches and the players. And I think that we need to give the players stability and we need to go into the world cup with the coach. We brought in knowing that we have, you know, we've been grooming people for, for the future. And I think that that's exactly what the plan was. And that's how, that's how it has to work out. There's no reason to do anything with, with any of the coaches prior to the world cup. That is, that's, I I think that's crazy. Now, Say it was to blow up. Say, say Congress said, Hey, we're going to blow out Roberts, we're going to blow out Melville, we're going to blow, you know, do everything you want to do. What is the plan? I just don't see any plan in place. It's just a, yeah, get rid of everybody. But I don't think that that's necessarily prudent. What I would do if I were in Congress is I would say, Hey, Ed really wrote an article, started a discussion, uh, occurred on GameLine, really got it ripping. I've never seen a GameLine blog go as crazy as, as it has been going now since Ed's article. I think that we need to use this to get accountability. The, we need to get accountability from the, from the board and from USA Rugby. In 2008... There was $8 million in revenue in USA Rugby. That's about $160,000 a week. All we need, like all the board really should, should ask for is how much of that money came from dues, how much of that money came from sponsors. They may not be able to give exact numbers. There may have to be an aggregate number for the sponsorship because of confidentiality agreements on sponsors. And sometimes you don't want to tip your hand as to, publicly how much each sponsor gave when you're trying to negotiate with other sponsors but you can get an aggregate and also how much money was spent on each program with a full accounting of the programs with all of their expenses and then after that what are the salaries and expenses for overhead And uh, you know you don't have to give people's personal salaries just say what the salaries and expenses are And and I took a look and I said, okay, let's look at the Eagle men, the Eagle Sevens men, the Eagle women, the Eagle Sevens women, college All-Americans, high school Americans, under 20 All-Americans, college All-American women, high school American women, under 20 women. I think there's another 23 women instead of a college All-American. And I just looked and I said, all right, we got $8 million. And that's what USA Rugby should handle in my book. Give the Eagle men 2.5 mil. Give the Eagle sevens 1.5 mil. Give the Eagle women 750 grand. Give the Eagle sevens women 750 grand. Give the college All-Americans, high school All-Americans and under-20s for the men 500 grand. Give the college All-Americans, high school All-Americans and under-20s for the women 500 grand. That's $150,000 each age grade program. And a fifty thousand dollar buffer if they screw it up. That spends six point five million dollars. That leaves out one point five million dollars to do everything else you're gonna do. So I don't know where the money's going, but I do know that an eight million dollar operation. I'm not saying any. I'm, I'm not saying anything's being misspent. I'm saying an eight million dollar operation. You can do that, and it. You could actually. I think that they'd be better off than they're going. Uh, as far as board members, you know, you sit and you say, oh, you get a guy on the board. What I would do is I would look for board members going forward, Costs $25,000 to get in, and that's a, that's a partial payment on your partial year. You come in, in, I think it's September, October, and then it's a minimum of fifty grand to stay each year. And it's $100,000 for the chairman's spot. And if you get a guy, you say, like, oh, you know, we need people. Sometimes there's good guys on the board who are really, you know, they're very dedicated to rugby, bop, blah bop, bop, and they're really good. Well, that's good. Get someone to sponsor them. If they're capable, they'll get a sponsor. Somebody will say, you know what, I'll give, I'll put that 50 grand up for this guy because I think he's worth it. So when I, and I take a look at that, and let's say I want to go back to the other thing in the board meeting. Or the, the Congress board meeting, there was a plan that was done by USA Rugby that would have gotten an F in clown college. It was a plan to make a plan. The only concrete component was to increase the tax base by making kids pay SIP, and it was sickening. Congress should demand a rewrite with specific goals, specific accountability, and a plan to get where we need to be. Set the goal then plan specifically as to how you're going to achieve the goal. And I think we need this by Thanksgiving. There's no need for fluff. There's no need for nonsense and pictures and PowerPoints and all this crap. Just give us the three to five page proposal, meat and potatoes. How are you going to do what you're going to do? You know, in summary, I would say, let's try and mature the United States Olympic committee relationship for a year. Let's get accountability and transparency from this meeting. I think that's critical. I would only have board members who buck up or get sponsors to buck up at 50 grand a year and a minimum and 100 grand a year at a minimum for the chair. And I'm not saying commercial sponsors. It means a private guy to pay to have a guy on the board. That's the only kind of people we need. If they're not going to give any money, then we don't need them on the board. Congress also has to bear a bit of responsibility, you know, and and. And the localities, I think, need to work on their own stuff. I also don't think it's pragmatic to blow things up. I think that we need to refocus, get it right, keep the people that we have on board, keep a bit of stability going forward. And I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's the key.
0: I don't know, what do you say, Bronk? What is the end goal for USA Rugby? Uh, what do you want to be? Uh, do you want to be, a, obviously, it's not a superpower. Unless you're looking way down the track.
1: Well, you know what, Bronk? I think, I think that, you know, from my perspective, I think that we are capable of being a top 10 nation that can roll into the seventh spot. And then and, and if we do that, I also think that we are, I think that also we're capable of being a. Power in women's rugby. I think that that's and in the men's rugby, getting crossover athletes. Actually, actually, the United States Olympic Committee. That that relationship is pretty interesting because there's a lot of technology that gets used in other sports that we don't have in rugby that that now can be shared with us, and and will be and will be able to have access access to those things at at palatable prices, and then. And, and then also the crossover athletes. There's going to be guys who are tremendous wrestlers, but not going to be Olympic wrestlers. There's only one guy who's going to go to the Olympics. Fifteens is kind of a more all-inclusive game. So I think that we can really work together on that end. And I think that in, in rugby, we're gonna, if we're going to try to get to the next level, we have to do it by growing the game at the grassroots. And there's a lot of people, like the San Francisco Golden Gate Rugby Club does a great job. Play Rugby USA does a great job with uh, Christian Mayo and Mark Griffin from Old Blue and EAC in New York, and then um, and then the Morris Rugby Club, who's a Division Two club out in New Jersey, does a tremendous job. They have two thousand kids in their program, and the Union Rugby Club, is a Division Two club in New Jersey, it has a thousand kids in their program. And these are the types of things that need to be fostered throughout throughout the country and, and keep on doing that. Instead of trying to get them into the tax base, just try to get them playing and try to enjoy Make it easy. And I think that by, by eliminating regulations, you can make it easy on people to develop these programs. Once you play rugby, it's the greatest game in the world. You're going to keep playing. Develop what we can domestically as best we can. And try to get as many of our people playing overseas, in in daily training environments where they can be successful on the national team, and then try to be the world's guest. So if you're going to go when Ireland's going to play, that's cool. They'll 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 pay for you to be there three or four days before. All right, so you may take a whack in the first game, but play them in a two-test series. You'll be there. Your team can assemble for another. You know. 10 or 12, you know, you can assemble for 10 or 12 days and then Wales may play. And then, and all of a sudden you get this trip that's really cool and your team gets better and better. And I think that that's what Argentina did. They became the world's guest. And then every once in a while you bring a team in, you play tough at home and you bring in a crowd. You don't have to go crazy with that. And then those teams will see you. And if you perform... They'll sign your players if they sign. That's what we want to do. We want to get our players playing overseas, professional environments, daily training environments, give them an opportunity to shine. And, and, I, and what would be nice is if the IRB would say to some of, these, some of the nations where its professional rugby, hey, um, if, a, if a guy is playing in, in a 12 or above level, you know his IR their country's irb ranking is 12 or above then they don't count as a foreigner if you sign them what do you think my man What do you just think hey, get off your soapbox let's get alex goff in
0: yes bruce we've had enough of your soapbox although it does increase your height so make sure you keep it around let's join alex goff now who chimes in from the west coast good Hi, how's it going good to speak to you again well, so I guess the first time on the show. But so uh, welcome to Rugger yeah. Matrix America, and thanks for allowing us to be on uh, US uh, Rugby Mag. It's it's a privilege and and a pleasure.
2: Well, it's a double thrill for me, Juro and Bruce, because first of all, I I get to have the podcast uh, on RugbyMag.com, dot com, which is great. But also, I get to be on the podcast, which is exciting too and uh i i i think i think bruce has to be polite to me now so that's nice too
0: you well, he
1: does alex i tell you i i think that i think that uh most guys who are virgins on the podcast get a little bit nervous i was going to i <laughs> i saw ed i saw ed at the national all-star 7s and i asked him to come on when i was going to do my uh my little rant and he's like i, I don't know i don't know if i get skype <laughs> <laughs> we'll have him another time, but it was pretty funny. So, I think yeah,
2: he would be outstanding. I think he would be great to have on.
1: Oh, no, definitely. He would be terrific.
0: Uh, Alex, great coverage. Oh, I had uh, no, uh, great coverage on the site about the Women's World Thank Cup you. currently happening uh, in the UK.
2: Well, I think it's been very mixed. I've been getting a lot of feedback from... Uh, from england with jackie finland who is our on-site reporter back there but also in terms of talking to people who are deep in women's rugby here in the states and you know that they, they support the team and they support the individual players but they can also be very frustrated about some of the performances we've seen um, one of one of the issues that i brought up in a column was was more about the preparation of the team and and I, I I don't want to sit there and point fingers and say Kathy Flores is doing a bad job or Alex Williams is doing a bad job or the ca- captains or whatever it is. I I it, I don't think it's really about that. It's a, it's about the fact that uh, this team, the, the United States, used to be a world champion, and they were in World Cup finals, three World Cup finals in a row, winning one of them, and it's real tough for people to take that. They're not going to be in the top four this year. And I think that um, in terms of what I see, these players don't get the right level of competition to make it hard for them. And I think that if you look at the fact that France is playing extremely well, France beat Canada, Um, that that Ireland beat the United States, and Ireland is a very, very good team now. And, And this was a team that wasn't so great a few years ago the the you say well what's the difference there and the difference is they play in the women's six nations Correct. and the united states yeah. and the united states and canada do not have a women's six nations they play each other and unfortunately they we, we don't even have a series we don't sit there and say i don't know this is you know this is the Jen Crawford Cup, and we're going to um, fight for this, play a three-game series, something like that. It always seems to be a development thing. It always seems to be a game. Well, well, we're testing these people here. We're testing these people here. And I just wish there was a game where sometime between one World Cup and another, you look some of these women players in the eye and say, you have to win this game. This is a game you've got to win, and if you lose, you're going to be very unhappy. It doesn't seem like we have those games.
0: It's interesting to see the transition then and, and the success of the American team because the Australian side, which uh, received no support whatsoever about 10 years ago from the Australian Rugby Union, who's now suddenly performing well. We saw them do extremely well at the Sevens uh, World Cup and now performing where they've smacked South Africa 62 0 to get into the semi finals against England. And they don't have that regular competition that the six nations provides
2: well I I think that's a very good point and I, I love the Australian team I love the I I covered them pretty closely at the 2006 World Cup because the games that I was really it was right there the USA played Australia twice and the deal was that they had you're right they had had no support and no international games leading into that World Cup. And as a result, they were bumped down in seedings. And that ended up, you know, I, I talked to the captain about it, saying, how do you feel about the fact that Canada is pretty much skating into a top-four spot, and here you are battling it out, and you you may feel like you're better than Canada. And they weren't too happy about it. But, um, you know, moving forward to the, the Sevens World Cup, they were outstanding in the Sevens World Cup. And the thing that struck me, first of all, all those players that came from touch rugby, wonderful skills, really just outstanding ball skills among them, which helps in sevens, and then they're just great athletes. And the third thing that comes up is, yeah, they, you're right, Jero, they don't have uh, international experience. I mean, it, it, they don't have a regular international uh, competition, but what they do have is a pretty robust domestic competition where there aren't a lot of teams. And they beat the hell out of each other pretty much every week, and even with the women 's Premier League we have in the united states we 're still struggling to get that. Uh, there are still an awful lot of club players who think they 're playing tough tough level of rugby, and they they 're not so if we if we hopefully ramp up that women 's Premier League where it gets a little bit tougher, and where we 're funneling some of these college players who're not seeing at the moment quite going into uh, into club rugby the way we'd like if we funnel those players in then you might see the 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 level of club and provincial rugby or territorial rugby in the United States go up like Australia has and so it's an Australia's domestic program and their emphasis on basic skills that I think has made them good
1: For the women I think it's very difficult financially and from a support way to get through this season and and they're working their butts off but is there a funnel is there you know do they have a high school to a college to a to a women's to a, to a national team and it's just it seems to be there's a lot of stuff going on and it can it be more concentrated cuz there's not as many women playing as men
2: there're nowhere near as many women playing as men but the 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 access to the top level athletes i think would be higher the, I, I think you 're right the 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 women 's clubs don 't have this they, they they have they have an organization and there are some that are extremely well organized but I think you don't have this funnel you 're right you you don 't have an awful lot of clubs that have an under nineteen team under their umbrella uh, you, and even even with the fact that i I think there are lots of little factors involved, one of them being that a woman can play. If she's a good player and if she's a smart player, she can play a lot longer than a man can. There are are women who played for uh, the United States well into their 40s. And that's something that a man just not going to be able to do. So you've got your old boys become old boys in, in, in men's rugby earlier than they do for women.
1: In women's rugby, I will say one thing. Prior to the 91 World Cup in 1989, I was coaching the Met New York women. And I had just graduated college. I don't even know how the hell I got drafted into doing that. But I went down, and I saw Florida State play. And it was Kathy Flores, Patty Jervy, Candy Orsini. And I will tell you straight out, that was some of the best rugby I have ever seen in my life on American shores. Those women were outstanding. They were Deft with their hands, they had footwork, they did amazing things. That team that won that 91 World Cup was legit, seriously effing legit. And I think that we can get there, Alex. I just I, do I know the exact route? No, I mean, am I a huge women's rugby guy? No, but I do believe that we need to support women's rugby because I think that that's. That's a medal opportunity. I
2: think I, I think you're absolutely right. It's a medal opportunity, and it should be supported in an equal way or, or a, a proportionate way. But I think that uh, you know, I I don't have answers there. a lot of college people, a lot of college people say, look at Penn State, uh, look at Stanford. Look at Brown, look at Army and look at the the kinds of players they're bringing out those are the players who should be funneled directly into the national team and then you go down to the high school team and you you know i I coached uh, high school girls rugby for uh, what is it seven years and and there were some enormously skilled players not only in the team that I coached but the team the teams that beat us you know Kent Washington has has players that are just. Uh, will blow you away with the, the skill level they have, the passing. And then you look at the the international or the club level and you say, well, we don't see that passing anymore. We see we don't see somebody able to, to pass a 10-meter pass where they can in high school. So I think that there's some some kind of connection that could be made. How is it made? I don't know. But I think the Olympic rings have an awful lot of to do with it. And I think that uh, as much as you guys might bristle about sevens, Sevens is a great way to continue to bring in that and develop that skill level because it's that skill level that broke down for the United States against Ireland. It wasn't about, it wasn't about being tougher. It wasn't about winning the ball. They won plenty of ball. They just couldn't hold on to it.
0: Well, speaking of uh, Sevens, the National All-Star Championships, plenty of coverage on the site, Alex, and uh, I don't know, what was the highlight for you?
2: Well, it, on a... On a on a personal level, on an individual level, I think the highlight for me was uh, watching Mille Pulu play, and he won the MVP for the tournament because Mille was not allowed to play for his club at the Pacific Coast playoffs because of a, you know, a player registration thing. It was a paperwork problem. It was a legitimate paperwork problem, but it was a paperwork problem. So he didn't get to play, so he didn't get to go to nationals. He sits there. He, I mean, he, the kid was just very sad when I talked to him about it, and so he gets to go out and and show his stuff. Um, in that case, you know, I think it, I think that was a, a highlight on an individual basis. Um, overall, you know, on the men's side, I think I think the play was pretty good. Uh, and that's not always been the case, but I think generally there was some pretty good stuff done. And there were some good players that uh, head coach Al Caravelli will be able to see. On the women's side, there were some good and there was some bad. It's still, we're not seeing an awful lot of players that look kind of sevens naturals. So if I were uh, USA coach Rick Suggett, I would, be, I would be grimacing a little bit, thinking, you know, how, how many legitimate international sevens players did I see this weekend? I saw a few. Ida Bernstein comes to mind but uh not a lot.
1: Well, this is really pathetic. I was actually there and I didn't watch a lot of the women's games because I was uh I we actually at the at the AC we have a um a guy named James Aldridge who had never played rugby before and he he played football for Notre Dame at, at running back and he was he was coming down to look at the All-Star Championships. he had never, ever played in the game. And somebody on the Midwest got hurt, and Caravelli asked us if he would play. And and he we were like, yeah, what the heck? So he, he borrowed a pair of compression shorts and a pair of boots and joined the Midwest team on Saturday and then went on Sunday and played and I, but I didn't see Rick Suggett. If I had known he was there, I would have really liked to meet him. But I, I, so we were we were jerking around doing that, and I also had my I had my boys with me, so I was playing a lot of hide and seek during the girls' games in the woods. So, uh, but what I will Sounds say, Alex, like what I will say that I saw during the during the women's games, during the men's games, was I saw the crossover athletes and the effect that the crossover athletes had on the game in a positive way. Miles Craigwell from Brown University, who was cut by the Dolphins, he, uh, who plays for the A.C., he, he made there, – there was a time in the first game I saw that he made three defensive stops that were all due to hustle within 45 seconds. And I saw that the guys who were – Crossover gridiron players or, or rugby or football players in, in our world, Juro, they they were absolutely fantastic. Now, are they sevens players yet? No, but they were absolutely fantastic. And the level of hustle and the level of enthusiasm and the level of athleticism that we saw top to bottom was unreal. Those those. Those two players from Puget Sound, the Fijian guys, were fantastic. Uh obviously Palamo was fantastic. And Pulu was a man amongst boys. And the Pacific Coast was the clear, clear class of the tournament. But Alex, I gotta say, there was there was a uh young guy from the deep south, D- D- Darian Darien at Duran, something he was he was terrific. He' had played. They plucked him out of high school. He played a little bit of high school rugby down in Broward County with Greg Shore. Then he played some college football, came back got had a little bit of trouble after his junior year came back, got into rugby, and he was a superstar hadn 't played rugby in a bit. I mean, I saw some people down there that were terrific and that we 're going to be hearing about them in the future, and I think that that 's the thing now it's going to be how much work do these crossover athletes put into being good players in 7s 15s or whatever they go into but this is this is a really exciting time i mean alex we are talking serious athletes it's, it's a huge. Of how much It's
2: huge. the the darian woodson is the guy from the south and and he is i don't know if he's a crossover i mean he's done a little rugby and everything but but certainly a a guy that that you look at and say you you makes you sit up a little straighter, doesn't it? And just say uh, you know I, I want to watch this guy. But I think you're right, Bruce. That uh, you know that, that, how much are they going to put into this? And I think one of the things that Al Caravelli learned dealing with crossover athletes over the last few years is first of all how to treat them a little bit. And he threw. Uh, Leonard Peters to the wolves a little bit but he knew that Peters was itching to compete and he did the same with Tommy Saunders and both of those guys neither one of them made the all-stars but they made the club uh, championships and both of those guys if you watch that club championships are are people you'd say wow that guy's a star and Leonard Peters is now is not only a crossover talent. He's a rugby player now. And I think Craig Well probably has better physical tools than some of those guys. I think he's faster than Saunders. I think he's faster than Peters. And if he has the right mental attitude, then he's going to be better than them. And I think that uh Caravelli has basically said he is the guy the guy who's gonna uh, he, he has that attitude. So he's he's gonna come through. So
0: And that's when you got the battle half won, the right attitude. All right, Alex Goff, thank you for joining me and Bruce McLean as well. We are back on track with Rugger Matrix America on RugbyMag.com. Look forward to chatting to you next week.